Hello, good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Are you okay? Uh, was there anybody uh, like me that heard the news about Christmas coming up quickly that just felt a little bit daunted? Yeah, anybody else? Yeah. Who else in the room hasn't bought a single Christmas present yet? Great, that makes me feel a lot better. Who, who here is on track and have they got their tree up? Let's see who the show of hands. Okay, a few of us. Okay, great. Well, we've all got a lot of work to do, haven't we? Okay. Those of you who got the tree up, you're now the ministry team for the rest of us at the end because you're organized. Um, well, it's great to be with you this morning. I wasn't here last week because I was with a team um, in Switzerland uh, doing a conference there. So we had a great time together. Um, I took out some English chocolate for them to enjoy. Uh, that didn't go down too well. Apparently, Swiss chocolate is a real thing. Um, so next time, I'm going to take a British-made cuckoo clock. I think they'll appreciate that more. So um, good morning to you. But um, if you're... Uh, if you've been around the past few weeks, then you'll know that we've been looking at the subject of culture. And uh, I'm aware that we probably fall into a couple of categories on this. For some of us, uh, we've recently turned up at the King's Arms, and this is all kind of new information for us, so it's, so it's very helpful. For others of us, like myself, you've been around maybe for many years, and you've heard several talks around culture. And uh, I guess the danger is that we can get a little bit over-familiar with it. Uh, particularly at maybe even sometimes where we'll share family stories that we'll share repeatedly because we think they sort of encapsulate what we're talking about. Um, and it's reached the point now that I've heard so many of the family stories so many times uh, that it's reached a whole new level. Not only could I recite uh, Simon's story about having to go to his boss and admit that he was stealing from the company, sometimes it feels like it happened to me. I've reached that point, you know, I've telling to people, oh, there was this time I was working for a manufacturing company in in Basingstoke, and I was stealing, oh no, hold on, that wasn't me, that was Simon. But the point is, when we hear the stories over and over again, the point is not that you could recite them, but it's an opportunity to think, how much have I changed in this area? So when Simon shares a powerful story about authenticity, to think to yourself, well, am I more authentic now in my relationships and friendships than I was the last time I heard this? Because these are aspirational goals, they're not just plaques to have on a wall, we're saying this is who we want to be. And this morning, we get to look at the subject of acceptance. And so my friend Ben and I are going to be sharing a little bit about this. And I'm, I'm really pleased to be talking about acceptance because I think there's rarely been a time, in, certainly in my living memory, where the world around me seems to be more sharply divided than it is right now. You know, when you look at, say, for instance, in the political arena, in the Western world, the United States, the political d divide seems like a gulf. Uh, even in our own nation... We're divided over issues like public finances and immigration. And then there's the matter of Brexit, um, which, to be honest, I think we were divided on it. I think we're now all unified in our confusion because nobody's got a clue what is going on, uh, possibly even those in power. Uh, and so we, we, we've got these different issues in our society that really can polarize us as people. And so it's all the more important that we look at this subject today. And of course, the, the message from the world around us is that the answer is to become more tolerant of one another. Now, I, I think tolerance is a good thing insofar as how far it goes. But I would suggest to you that tolerance maybe isn't all that we need. Yes, tolerance is helpful. Um, we need tolerance. We need to be tolerant of one another, even in our interactions, particularly in our communication with one another. I was reminded this the other day um, when I got yet another text um, from, uh, from a lady, and this seems to be etiquette and difference between men and women, where ladies will often send texts to people, and they'll, at the bottom, they'll put a kiss to, to say, you know, just to share that they love the person and that sort of thing. Emma will do that with her girlfriends. 
I can't tell you the number of times I've received a text from ladies in the church with a kiss uh, at the bottom, uh, followed by another text shortly afterwards, a longer text explaining how apologetic they are and they never intended to do this. Um, Can anybody relate to that at all? Sending the wrong text message. Well, if that's you, I thought I'd help you this morning uh, around this whole area and um, tell you that uh, a while ago I was um, needing to change a meeting and uh, so I needed to reschedule it. And so I sent a, sent a text to uh, a lady. And uh, what, I, what I intended to write was to say, sorry, we're having to reschedule the meeting. But don't worry if you can't make the meeting, as I know you're busy. That's what I wanted to send. Uh, I actually added an extra letter. And by mistake, I actually typed, don't worry if you can't make the meeting, as I know you're busty. Um, which, <laughs> which, which is awkward, isn't it? This is... It's difficult to come back from that. Um, so, so I think we do need to be tolerant with one another. Some of you, that's all you remember from this morning. Tolerance is a good thing. Um, but what I suggest to you is that tolerance on its own doesn't have the power to change the world around us. Yeah, that, that really, when you think about it, tolerance is by nature a passive thing. Uh, it's saying, I'll allow something or someone. Uh, it's, it's to permit coexistence around us. But what I'd suggest to you is the world doesn't actually need more coexistence. What the world really needs is more love. Love demonstrated in the kind of values that we've been talking about. Demonstrated through honour and generosity, authenticity, courage and acceptance. I came across this photo up on the screen behind me now. Uh, this is photographer Abd Al-Qaeda Habak. I hope I pronounced his na- name right. He was working in Syria. Um, as a photographer, when an explosion blew up a bus carrying a whole load of refugees, including a number of children. And in the moment, he stopped taking photos and ran in to scoop up some of the children that had been injured in the blast. Uh, This Christmas, with all the meetings that Steve has mentioned about, we're going to get to celebrate together the moment when our God ran in to help us in our plight. Tolerance is by nature passive. Love is by nature active. It's the, we worship the God who steps in, who runs in to rescue each one of us. And maybe even this morning you wouldn't say that you know Jesus at all. Well, I want to let you know that's what's on offer, that you could run towards the God who in turn is running towards you. You see, the reason that we can go beyond what the world around us offers, the reason that we can offer love and acceptance is because he first loved us. And everything that we've got to give away is actually everything that we've received from him. And it's powerful. To know that we are eternally loved all of a sudden gives us the ability to love others around us, irrespective of what they give back to us. Do you know that in a thousand years' time, you will still be loved by the Father? In 10,000 years' time, you will still be there being loved by the Father. And really, that's the source, that's the energy behind what we do. It's not that we're just trying very hard to live out these values. It's actually we're giving away something of what we have received. And then as a result, all that remains really is to think about how we respond to that first love. How do we respond to the world around us having received that? And the first thing we want to draw out this morning for us is that we accept everyone and anyone around us. Uh, We accept people not on the basis of what they can do for us, but on the basis of who they are. Because we believe that people are made in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, they have an inherent value 
our dignity, irrespective of anything else. They have value full stop, regardless of anything else. Of course, the trouble is that that is easier said than done. It's not always easy to love like that, to accept people like that. Uh, You may remember me sharing about how one time a few years ago, I was walking through the town and um, I came across a homeless lady and uh, she was sat in a shop doorway and she was asking people for money and had a little cap to put money in. And uh, I I said to her, I'm so sorry, I don't have any money on me, uh, but I'll give you what I've got. I've got my packed lunch here. Here, take my sandwiches so that you've got something to eat. This lady looked up at me, snatched the sandwiches from my hand, glanced at them, said to me, I don't eat brown bread, and then threw them on the floor. I tell you, I was, I was shocked, and then I was immediately afterwards angry. And I was just like, how could you do that? And it was one of those moments where it's better to walk away than actually say anything. I just walked away to try and calm down. And in doing it, I realized that often God will get our attention through various incidents. So I began talking to the Holy Spirit about what, what was that all about, God? You know? And I felt God ask me, Paul, why are you so angry? You could easily go and buy another sandwich if you wanted to. And I realized that actually there was more going on when I was offering that lady my sandwich. The the belief really in my heart as I interacted with God on it was that I will bless you with my sandwich if in return you say a profound heartfelt thank you to me. And I had done my part, but she hadn't done her bit. She hadn't held up her end of the bargain, and so I was angry with her. It wasn't really kindness and love I was offering. It was a deal. And she'd welched on the deal. Turns out there really is no such thing as a free lunch. The message was this. I will accept you if you will show me appreciation back. That's not unconditional love. That's a deal. And if we're honest, I think we do that a lot of the time. It's give and take that I would get something back from you. That's why I don't know that we can really learn what true acceptance is until we're valuing somebody who has nothing to give us back. That's why the... People who work on the project are such heroes of mine because constantly they're giving out to people who have nothing to give in return. Our job is to get all the love and acceptance we need from the Father so that it flows out from us, irrespective of whether or not it's a two-way street. We accept people regardless of their status or their age or their background or anything else. It doesn't mean we always have to agree with them, but we accept them because they have inherent value. And what I thought I'd do is I'd ask my friend Ben just to come and share a little bit of his experience in terms of both giving and receiving affection and acceptance towards people. So it's Ben's first time that he's spoken here. So could we welcome him up as he comes to speak? Thank you. Really kind. Thank you. Can you guys hear me all right? Good morning. I realize numbers of you possibly do not know me, so by way of a um, quick introduction, my, my full name is Ben Benjamin Eneger. I am Nigerian, and um, I moved to the UK for the weather. <laughs> I'm still having the world with a travel agent for the package you sold me. You know. I am married to the most gorgeous Yvette Eneger, who's just come up on your screen. Uh, who was actually born and raised here in Bedford. We used to live here in Bedford, and um, we've been away for a number of years and recently moved back with two wonderful children. You know, um, from a work perspective, I, um, I work in the pharmaceutical sector. I've been there for the last 14 years, previously in the industry, and now as a management consultant 
to the industry, to major pharmaceutical companies. And um, what I see increasingly is the strong need in people for acceptance around me. You know, there's a sense of loneliness, there's a sense of people going the extra mile to do things to be, to be seen, to be recognized, and to be accepted. And, I, and I'm sure this is not just down to the pharmaceutical sector, right? I'm sure from the numbers of heads I can see nodding that, um, you know, this happens all across. And um, I just wanted to share just, you know, a few, a few examples of how I, I'm learning to accept my work colleagues. And um, I think I would say one of the very first things I've learned is just to give everyone a voice and be prepared to really listen to them. You know, um, no matter who they are, no matter how much work experience they've had, you know, if you're on my team at work, you know, you're told again and again that you are important and you have a voice and you have value and you're part of the team. You know, I remember um, a young graduate who I'm going to call Mike for the, um, uh, for the sake of this talk, not to give him away, um, who joined my project, um, uh, joined my company, my previous employer, and joined my project um, team. And he was a very, very capable guy, but simply would just held back, would not, um, would not share, would not contribute. And, uh, and I remember going after him again and again, saying, you're valued, your voice counts. I want to hear your voice in my team. And after what felt like years and years and years of just going and, and, and doing this, um, he eventually opened up. And he, he just had some amazing insights, which my team benefited from. You know, and I got to know this guy, and I was just listening to him, hearing him, listening again and again. He, he, he was, you know, shocked that, you know, someone with a significant more experience than him was actually giving time to him. And, and um, you know, he eventually opened up about what was going on in his life, his big questions of life. He started asking me about my faith, and I got a chance to share Jesus with him and to pray with him, you know. I, um, and this is, what, um, this is what I've learned. God has given everyone a voice. We need to make room for that. Because yes. what I've learned as well is that one of the ways to make someone rejected is to take away their voice. Or to shut them down when they try to talk to you. You know? On the contrary, if we give people the voice and are prepared to really listen and not just wait to tell them something, you know, which I find comes easily to me. We, if we do that, we open the door of acceptance. One of the um, other ways I'm learning to accept people is just to pursue those who stand out as being different. You know, people who are pe perhaps isolated, people who, and this happens in our workplaces, in our social groups, and, um, you know, in our classrooms. You know, I remember, um, um, you know, a few years ago when I was here in Bedford College doing my A-levels, so not that long ago, um, <laughs> We, um, we had a student um, from Pakistan who, who joined the course a bit later than the rest of us. And so we had formed our groups of friends. And I remember this guy sitting by himself. And, you know, he tried desperately hard. And no one was accepting his at friendship attempts. And, um, you know, he looked different. He spoke different, he acted different, you know, and because of that, you know, he was pretty much um, um, by himself. And um, I remember sitting there thinking, if I accept this friendship, I would lose my own group of friends, you know, because no one's clearly accepting this guy. And I was happy to just stay away from this guy. And um, the Holy Spirit, thank God for that, kept nudging me, 
that you've got to befriend this guy. You've got to, you've got to reach out to him. I'm glad the Holy Spirit won that one because, um, you know, over the years, this guy has turned out to be, you know, one of the most amazing friends, a very wise guy, someone who has really stirred me on in my career, in my choices, in my work with God. You know, I would say in, in my list of all-time best friends, this guy's name's in there, you know. And best of all, his family cooked their most amazing chicken curry. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, but when I think about it, this is what Jesus did. Yeah. He went for those who were not really accepted. He went for those who stood out as being different. And I think we are called to be the same. Yeah. Yeah. I am... Um, I, um, I, I realized that in the workplace, in our school places, we often don't get to choose who comes on our project team. Sometimes we get, to, we get put in teams with people who, should I say, are not necessarily our fans. You know, people who go out of their way to hurt, to intimidate, to pull us down. And I've been on the receiving end of this, and it's easy to reject someone who rejects you, that's for sure. You know, but it's powerful when we accept those who reject us. What I'm learning is that it's, it's okay to accept someone even if I don't approve of their actions. Because like Paul was saying, that's exactly how God treats me. You know, he, he accepts me even though, you know, doesn't approve of all my actions. You know, um, the least I could, I could do for such colleagues is to bless and to pray for them on a regular basis and to really mean that and give that my whole heart. You know, this is what Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 44. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I think acceptance has the opportunity to be the most powerful when it is the most difficult to do so. And this is what Jesus says as well, that, you know, if anyone comes to him, anyone and everyone that comes to him, he will never reject and I bet if you look around your workplaces tomorrow, your school places tomorrow, you know, your social group tomorrow, you would find someone within minutes in need of acceptance. So the challenge is, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to hold back or are you going to go for them? We've been accepted by God. Guys, we need to go and accept others. Um, as Paul and I were saying, the, one of the things we also want to talk about in terms of our response is being able to, is acceptance of our brothers and sisters within our church family. And um, I don't know about you, but if you look across the room, I am so thankful, I'm impressed with the diversity, you know, we've been blessed with here at King Sam's. You know, if you, if you look around, you will notice, like, you know, those that are young to those that are not so young. I'm not looking at anyone this time around. <laughs> You know, those that are new to Bedford, new to King Sam's, and those that have been here for a number of years, um, the, the different economic um, and social backgrounds, the, the black, the white, the different nations represented, I think we're so blessed as a church with the diversity. And I would say that acceptance would only come as we recognize that we need each other. Yeah. You know, despite our differences, we are all of equal value and importance. Yeah. That's what Paul would tell the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 to 28, if you get time to read that later on. And um, 
one of the areas I particularly wanted to highlight this morning is just accepting our brothers and sisters from other nations. And um, if, you know, if you just look around the room now, you just see, I can just see so many different nationalities and races represented here. And um, as I mentioned earlier on, um, my wife Yvette is, is English and I'm Nigerian. And I would say we've had quite a lot of fun um, in our marriage. Um, <laughs> Um, in getting to know each other from a Nigerian and English traditional perspective, you know, um, uh, we've had a number of surprises, particularly in the first few years of our marriage. I would say, um, I'm not sure either of us enjoyed Christmas in the first three years <laughs> of our marriage, you know, just to give you one example, you know. I had to get used to eating sometimes dry, but, you know, roast turkey with Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and in the blanket. I always forget that, you know. <laughs> if anyone wants to tell me why it's called pig in the blanket, I'm keen to understand that, right? My wife, on the other hand, had to get used to eating goat stew with rice, which I just think is fabulous, you know. <laughs> you know, um, we, we grew up in my neighborhood in Nigeria celebrating Christmas Day by um, swapping food around. So we will cook our best meal, take it to the neighbor, the neighbor brings that, and we share food within. It's just a neighborhood celebration of Christmas. And to my shock and horror, you know, my wife's side of the family, after dinner, sat down, played board games. <laughs> Which I particularly did not like, because um, I was, especially the, the games that require local knowledge, which I couldn't get, you know? <laughs> Trivial Pursuit, 1980s, has been banned in our family. <laughs> you know, I did not know that it was possible to plan Christmas six months in advance. <laughs> now I know. <laughs> we had a family that planned what was going to happen on Christmas Day sometime in June. And we had another side of the family that planned what was going to happen on the 25th of December. On the 24th of December. <laughs> I'll let you figure out which is which, right? <laughs> what we've learned from a mixed-race marriage is that our own worldview can quickly become an idol. It can become, this is how we've done it, this is how it has to be. You know? But over the years, we've come to realize that, um, you know, we've come to learn that, you know, we need to recognize, we need to appreciate, we need to work out and enjoy the differences we've, we've, God has given to us. You know, and I can tell you Christmas is a lot more fun in the Nigel household today. You know, we're so looking forward to Christmas now, um, 10 years down the line. <laughs> you know, um, and I, I would like to land by saying that acceptance in a multiracial family, and indeed church, is only possible when we realize that we need each other. And when we choose not to remain in our own little bubbles and way of doing things, but proactively reach out to each other, to recognize and appreciate some of the differences our nations, nationalities, and races bring, and be prepared to accept each other, to celebrate the values God has put in each of our um, nationalities and ways of doing things. I'll, I'll finish off by reading Romans 15 verse 7 that says, So warmly welcome each other into the church, just as Christ has welcomed you, and then God will be glorified. Wow.
Wasn't that good? Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. I think they appreciate you. I just really want to underline really what Ben has brought to us there, that we truly accept one another, not when we tolerate one another, but we recognize we need each other. And that's what Paul talks about in the famous image in 1 Corinthians 12, where he's, he says the church is, is like a body. And uh, he, he said that the body is one, but it's made up of lots of different parts. And you can't have the hand saying to the foot, I no longer have need of you. That's ridiculous. You know, If you were to wake up tomorrow morning and look at your feet and think, you know, they, I don't like my feet. They, they, they smell and toenails are ugly. I'm going to do away with my feet. Then, then we would say people that do that, they, they have like a mental illness of some kind. He says it's crazy. In the same way, there's no way we can say to one another, I have no need of you. Because God has placed us together, each with a different role, each with a different contribution, and made us interdependent upon one another. The people around you may not look the same, they may not talk the same, and they almost certainly won't think the same as you. But it doesn't mean to say you don't need them. And the longer I go on, the, realize, the more I realize that God has placed people around me to actually bless me and help me. There's a mix of different personalities uh, all around us. You know, it might be that you belong to one of the groups in King's Arms and you sit back in the, in the room and you think to yourself, well, there's, you know, there's extroverts alongside hide in a cave introverts in this room. There are activators and that there are those who are contemplative and just want to sit back and, and ponder things. And God's put this wonderful blend, this wonderful mix in together. And God has often placed people around us in order that we might learn and change. Uh, I've learned that even in my own marriage. Um, uh, Emma and I, uh, when we first got married, we discovered that we have uh, many things in common, except for the way that we approach time, money, ministry, work, DIY, raising children, holidays, loading the dishwasher, I'm convinced I'm right, saving pr savings, prayer, cooking, cleaning, relatives, and Christmas. Everything else in our marriage has been plain sailing. It's been straightforward. So take, for instance, the issue of money. Um, I entered married life with what I thought was a very responsible attitude towards money and stewardship. So I had savings, and uh, I was eco economizing wherever I could. My larder was stocked with value items, including value cornflakes, where the packaging tastes better than the contents, if I'm honest. But, but I, ha I had that. Emma entered marriage with the crazy notion that God will provide. I, honestly, I don't know where she gets this stuff. Um, and so... She had this idea that we could be quite fluid with our money and be generous and give stuff away. There was a clash of values going on in those first few years. But 20 plus years on, I realized that I need her to balance me out. If it hadn't been for Emma, you know, these days I would be still eating food with a nutritional value of chipboard and probably wearing clothes I found in a skip. You know, I, would, I, I need her to balance me out. It's just the same with those around me in church life, you know, like the people I serve on team with, you know, they're all very different, and I thank God for that. Steve, for instance, has a wonderful eye for detail on the visuals, and one of the reasons all the PowerPoints and everything else look so good is because of Steve's attention to detail. Um, you know, he sees the wrong font on the screen sometimes, and he'll break out in a rash, you know. These, these things are very important to him, you know. When it comes to finances and things like that, Royden just comes alive as soon as there's a spreadsheet. But if you're in a room with Phil and Wendy, we have to keep an eye on them because 20 minutes looking at a spreadsheet and they will slip into a coma. So, you know, it's really, it's like a bad episode of Holby City. You know, get the paddles, we're losing her, you know, and it's, it's, not, it's not good. So God has made us all in different ways. But boy, do we need them. My question to you is, who has God placed around you 
Not that you might change them, but that they might change you. Who's he put around you? Who's he using, if you like, with the, the grit in the oyster, as it were, to bring out the pearls? Sometimes the people who frustrate us the most are actually a blessing from God because they're drawing things out of us that other situations wouldn't. You, remember, you're not here to change them. They are here to change you. And if we base our acceptance on, of one another out of a kind of general vague niceness, and I'll, I'll be kind to you out of the goodness of my heart, then that's not truly accepting people. To truly accept people, you have to recognize that you need them. The people you struggle with the most are teaching you perseverance, patience, generosity, and a whole load of other things you didn't want to learn. But they are doing you good on the journey. So maybe start up by thanking God for them. So that's the second thing. I hope you've really got that. We need each other. But the third response I think we need to make to Jesus' acceptance of us is actually probably the most difficult of all. And that's the act of accepting ourselves. Sometimes it can be easy to accept others, but accepting ourselves is so much harder. Uh, when Paul writes to the church in Corinth, in the same passage, he says this in verse 14. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. He goes on to say, and if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less the part of a body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? You see, he paints two scenarios in 1 Corinthians 12. One is where someone is rejected by others, but the other is where someone rejects themselves out of the group because they feel they don't fit. I wonder, actually, if the same thing goes on in the 21st century, where we buy the lie that I don't belong because I don't look or sound like these people around me. I don't fit in because I'm different. And that's where we get creative. We can come up with a hundred different ways in which we are distinct or different from the people around us. Maybe we say to ourselves, uh, I'm different because I didn't grow up in a Christian household like other people around me. I'm different because I don't know my Bible too well. I'm different because I'm working class or middle class or upper class. I'm different because I'm from another nation. I'm different because I'm older or younger than the people around me. I'm different because I've not been a believer too long. I'm different because I feel shy or socially awkward. I'm different because I didn't have a good education. Or I'm different because I'm single or married or I used to be married. And we feel an isolation from the people around us. When that happens, we tend to opt out. Sure, we might keep attending on a Sunday, but emotionally, inside, we've withdrawn because we feel like we don't fit around here. Paul says in verse 26, if one member suffer, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He's saying the body of Christ is meant to be connected to one another, that we, that we partake in the highs and lows that one another experience, and we celebrate and suffer equally together. The danger is that you and I pull back when we're tempted to feel like we're different, when actually the whole point Paul is making is that because you are different, you belong. Because you are unique, you are the only one of you we have got in this church. And so if you weren't here, we would be missing one of you because you're the only one we've got. For so many of us, we struggle with this. We, we believe that, yes, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and God formed me in my mother's womb. Uh, and then we wander into church and we look around and we think, oh, there's no one here like me. We believe theologically I'm unique, but then we walk in and think, oh, well, I expected there'd be other people like me. 
I generally want to say, what part of unique do you not understand? You know, there's not going to be somebody here exactly like you because God broke the mold when he made you. Paul's saying you can't have a body made up of all the same kinds of organs. You know, a body just made up of hands is the stuff of horror movies, isn't it? You know, that's ugly. And a body made just of feet is even worse, you know. So Paul is saying you are unique, you are distinct, therefore you belong. Because we need someone just like you. And you know, if I were our enemy, I wouldn't try and divide us by getting one group to be against another group. What I would do is I would draw alongside individuals and whisper in their ear, you don't belong. You don't fit in here. And I'd pick us off one by one. Let me ask you, has anybody been whispering in your ear recently that you're different, so therefore you don't fit in? The truth is you're different. You belong. You're part of this church family. If we're to truly have a culture of acceptance here, in the king's arms, and I pray we do. It's got to start with you and I accepting ourselves. Jesus said, love others as you love yourself. Well, that presumes that you've got to love yourself. How well are you doing at loving yourself? At thanking God for the way he's made you, the gifts and talents and abilities you've got? Or do you spend your life constantly wishing you were someone else and comparing yourself to those around you? Paul's saying, we need to recognize that we need one another and we need to value those differences, that you have a place to play, a place that, a place that you can belong here, that you've got a role to play. You know, it says in Acts 17 that God has decided where we should live and when we should live. So that means that God has chosen that you should be here and you should be now because you've got plans and purposes for your life. Let's pray that we can make this the most accepting and welcoming church we can be. But it starts with recognizing that God accepts me, and out of that place, I can then accept others.